I'm so glad you are here with us this morning, or if you've joined us online that you're worshiping with us. If you would, go ahead and grab a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, you might have a device where you can turn to Scripture, or the words will be on the screen. But we are going to be in the New Testament book of Hebrews toward the end of the Bible. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10. Go ahead and turn there. Look it up. And we're going to look at a text. I want to preface it by saying the first part of the text we're going to read is like chock full of these references to the Jewish sacrificial system. So as I read it, if you're like scratching your head like, huh, like what is going on? Like you'll just just track with me while I'll explain in a minute. Um, But we're going to be in Hebrews 10, starting in verse 19. So turn there, it'll be on the screens. It says, therefore, brothers and sisters, so he's speaking to Christ followers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. So pause Right there. A little bit, a little bit confusing. I'm going to explain in a minute. Um, but what he's saying is, like, look what Jesus has done for us. Look what Christ has done for us. Because he first loved us, then something, something should matter. Something should change. Because Christ loved us, something should make a difference in our lives. And he goes on to tell us what that is in verse 23. It says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. Stop there. I love that. Hold unswervingly. When is the last time you heard the word unswerving used? But isn't it like a cool, I mean, wouldn't you love for someone to say that your faith is unswerving, that it can't be shaken, that it's solid, that it's strong, that that no matter what winds blow in our lives or the world, that our faith is unswerving. What would it take to have an unswerving faith because of what Jesus has done for us? He goes on to say, verse 24, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching, as you see the day approaching that God is going to do what he ultimately does in the world. And so he says, if you want an unswerving faith, it comes from hanging in there, from not quitting, from not walking away, from gathering together as the body of Christ. There's something God wants to do in our midst through gathering that will lead to an unswerving faith because of what Christ has done for us. I will uh, follow James Madsen's lead from last week and and give you a little confession from my life. Um, Maybe a confession of embarrassment more than sin, but when I was a freshman in high school, I tried out for the JV, the freshman basketball team. And I had played baseball and football my whole life, but had never really played organized basketball, but I really wanted to try out for the basketball team. And so I did. And, and sure enough, by like the very last second, I was the last player chosen, the last player on the end of the bench, never got in the games, um, but I got to be on the team, right? And so 
those of us who were bench sitters, we had a really good team, and anytime the score would run up really high, they would call a timeout and substitute people like me in to get to play a little basketball. It was a lot of fun. Well, towards the end of the season, we were playing one team, we were beating them really bad, coach calls timeout, puts us in, and then the, team, the other team scores and scores and scores and scores, and then the coach calls timeout again. And he, he points at all five of us on the court, and he's like, you guys get over here. And he, he's pulling us out of the game. And so one of my friends who's on the court with me, a uh, fellow bench sitter, he turns to me, and he says, we don't need this. And I look at him, and I go, you're right. We don't need this. So right there in the middle of the court, we pull our jerseys off. We throw them at the sideline, and we walk off the court. And I got in a lot of trouble that night. I just quit on the spot. I said, I'm done with this. I'm walking away. Well, the author of Hebrews is saying, don't quit. Don't walk away. That even though you might be tempted for even good reasons, don't give up. Don't quit gathering as God's people. And I know that these days it's incredibly tempting that we're, we're busy or maybe we're not feeling it or maybe we feel disconnected. The last 18 months has caused us to check out more than usual, but scripture says, don't quit. By quitting the basketball team, and this did not occur in my 14-year-old mind, by quitting the basketball team, I did not get to play more basketball. It's true. I did not. I did not get better at basketball. I didn't become a better teammate by quitting the team. And by quitting, gathering together, what, what the writers of Scripture want us to see is that we will not grow more in our faith by quitting, gathering together as the body of Christ. And I know for some of us, gathering online is what we have, and it's okay. I'm, I'm not shaming you for that, but, but, but we're called to gather as Christians. Uh, Pastor Tony Evans says that I hear people say, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. And they're right. Salvation is through faith alone in Christ alone. But you also don't have to go home to be married. But stay away long enough and your relationship will be affected. Right? God has given us others brothers and sisters in Christ, that we might grow together in our relationship with God. We need each other. Community is a gift. It's a gift from God so that our beliefs become real to us as we practice them together. You need others to help your faith stick. So as we talk about because Jesus has first loved us, we need others to push us and encourage us and challenge us and sharpen us to help us live out our faith so that our faith is reinforced, so that what we say we believe is practiced and lived out and we're reminded of it in relationship with others. And in our passage today in Hebrews, he uses this really complex biblical Old Testament Israelite imagery from, from their sacrificial system in the temple to help us understand what God has done for us. And I'll be the first to admit that sometimes when you read the language of the sacrificial system in the Old Testament, it can be a little confusing. It can be a little hard to understand. It's like, it's like a flip phone for a teenager. <laughs> or maybe like TikTok for a baby boomer, right? Like it's, it's hard to understand. And yet, 
what we can see when we look at Scripture is that it helps us understand, as he talks about, like, a priest and the most holy place and the blood of Jesus and the curtain and sprinkling. Like, what's, what's he talking about? He's describing an ancient system of temple sacrifice that God gave his people so that there would be something tangible for their lives to revolve around, so that they stayed engaged with what God had done for them and who they were meant to be. The sacrificial system led by the high priest was given to regularly engage them with what God had done for them and who they were meant to be. And what it tells us is in the old system, there was a place called the most holy place. And one priest got to go in there once a year. It was like God's presence was separated from the people in this place called the most holy place. But then it says something miraculous happened that that the blood of Jesus, by his death on the cross, it obliterated the barrier that stood between God's presence and his people, and therefore we get to enjoy life in God's holy presence. We get to enjoy life with God in relationship with him because of what he's done for us. He made a way for us that changes everything. Jesus has done something for us that opens the way to the possibilities of a new life that we could have never earned or achieved or gotten to on our own. And this passage is encouraging us, hold unswervingly to it. Hold unswervingly to what Jesus has done for you. Our family got back last weekend from a road trip out west. We drove uh, over 5,000 miles. It's a long way to drive. I'd do it again in a heartbeat. It was so much fun. Uh, but they, could, they would tell you, uh, especially as we drove on mountain roads in Oregon and California, uh, that I swerved quite a bit. Swerved quite a bit. Kids had to have bags in the back seat. The thing, you swerve when you drive because you just start to lose a little bit of focus. You just start to drift just a little bit. You start to take your eyes off the road. You start to sort of lose concentration. You get distracted and you start to swerve. But to be unswerving is to be focused. It's to be dialed in. It's to not be distracted. And the way to have a dialed in, focused, unswerving faith is with other Christians. So just like the sacrificial system in the Old Testament, you knew it would come back to that, Jesus gives us something tangible for our lives to revolve around so that we stay engaged with our faith, and that something is the church. And Christian community was given to regularly engage us with what God has done for us in Jesus to remind us of who we are meant to be. Don't quit. He says, don't quit meeting together because it's only through our lives together we discover what lives of love and good deed, active deeds actually look like. We discover it together. We need each other. We need each other to push and to challenge and to remind ourselves who we are so that we leave a mark on the world, not because of who we are, but because of who Jesus is. And these early Christians, the ones that are being written to in the book of Hebrews, they had every reason 
to go, I quit, I don't, I don't need this. I can, I can still have my little private faith, but I don't need to gather together because they were facing immense persecution. Every time they gathered, they were putting their lives at risk. And this is still happening all over the world. It's happening in Afghanistan right now where Christians continue to meet under the threat of their losing their lives. And they gather and they risk their lives because they know that they cannot follow Jesus alone. They know that they cannot follow Jesus alone. And to think how easy it is for us to opt out for what seems like trivial reasons. And I won't list some of those reasons right now. I won't meddle. But we have to remember, we cannot follow Jesus alone. We need Christian community. We need others that reinforce who we are in Christ and what that means for our lives. Uh, One of the things that I've experienced throughout my life is um, several moments that I've been in a place, whether it was in college or we've moved, and I felt like I had some friends and some relationships, but I didn't feel like I just had a group of people that I belonged to that knew me really well and that I knew them. And I don't know if you ever felt that way, that you kind of hopped from one social circle to another to another. And again, you had, you had plenty to do. You had some friends, but you didn't really have a core of people you invested in. And what I found was that uh, like a fragmented social life is not a nourishing social life. It works for a season, but it's not ultimately nourishing. And I think what we find is that a, a fragmented Christian life, a fragmented Christian community ultimately will not be a nourishing Christian community. Because when you're hopping from place to place and you don't have people who know you and that you know, you actually end up trying to live solo. You end up trying to live your life by yourself, on your own, without others. You might be in proximity to others, but you're not being challenged and encouraged by others. Last week, James Madsen said that we will become Christian hedonists and narcissists if we don't root our faith in the love of Jesus. And what he means by that is that we'll just become people who use Christianity as a vehicle for self-fulfillment if we don't go back to the gospel over and over again. And here's the thing, you need others to point you back to the gospel over and over and over again. You cannot do it by yourself because here's the thing, the point of the gospel is to remember that it's not about us. And we can't remember that it's not about us all by ourselves. We need others to push us and challenge us and encourage us. Psalm 27, 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. You cannot sharpen yourself. You can't. We can try all you want. You cannot sharpen yourself as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. And what we know is that who we spend time around influences us for good or for bad. And there are some people on the internet right now who need some good influences. Uh, they're doing things like this. It's called the milk crate challenge. Look it up or don't, either way. Um, People need good influences in their lives to say, hey, maybe, maybe don't do this, right? Maybe don't. We need to be sharpened. Who's in your life that's sharpening you? 
Who are you sharpening? Who are you speaking into and challenging? Like, it's one thing to say we need community, and that's true. But we don't just need people that tell us, oh, you're fine, it's great, everything is good. We need people to challenge us and hold us accountable and call us out and love us through our worst days and our worst moments. We need people to set an example for us and push us and want more for our lives And look, maybe you already have this in your life and maybe you just need to recommit to it. But maybe you don't. Maybe you need to take a simple first step of just connecting with someone. Like there's no silver bullet to this. There's no silver bullet. But but maybe it's coming and showing up when you don't feel like it. Maybe it's learning someone's name. Maybe it's committing to reach out to someone who you've been meaning to reach out to for weeks or months or even years. Maybe you need to sign up for a new community or a group this fall here at CPC, or maybe just speak to someone in the parking lot that you haven't seen in a while, or maybe you've never met before. Just start taking steps towards building relationships that might be sharpening relationships. As someone who has moved all over the country and started over socially several times, it's hard. It's easy, it's comfortable just to sit back. It's easy just to stay safe and not engage with others in relationships that will sharpen you. And yet, community is a gift. It's a gift from God so that our beliefs become real to us as we practice them together. Our our faith becomes real as we live it out with others. The role of the church, when done right, There's a lot of caveat there. But the role of the church is to help you live into what Christ has done for you, that it would take root and it would stick and it would change your life. One of the things that is maybe the most sad uh, experience I've had as a pastor is when I've heard people say things like, you know, uh, their marriage just isn't going so well, so they've not been coming to church. No! That is the worst thing you can do. And it goes both ways, right? Like sometimes we create a church community that's so perfect and pretty that people don't feel comfortable showing up if their lives aren't perfect and pretty. But man, like if... if If church isn't a place where people who claim to know Jesus can come and have truth spoken into their lives when they're on their worst moments, whether it's marriage or family or school or work or whatever it is, right, that we would have people that we can't wait to show up because they're going to be hope in a hopeless situation, because they're going to be light in the darkness, because they're going to remind us about what really matters, and they're going to remind us of who we are because of whose we are because of what Christ has done for us. It's why Jesus left his disciples with the words, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. If we want to create a church where faith sticks, it means practicing love for one another. And we cannot do that going solo. We cannot do that alone. You need others to practice the life 
of Christ with, that they might call out the Jesus in you and the possibilities in your life because of what Christ has done for you. We need others to call out the truth. Philosopher Martin Boover wrote a famous book called I and Thou. And in it, he talks about how innate it is in humans to want to be confirmed and affirmed by other humans. He says, secretly and bashfully, he watches for a yes, which allows him to be, and which can come to him only from one human person to another. You see, God wants others in our lives who will say yes to our identity in Christ, who will say yes to who we are because of what Jesus has done for us. God made you for Christian community. Jesus redeemed you for community. He gives us the body of Christ so that we might be encouraged and and spurred on in our faith. And the body of Christ is where he makes himself known to the world. Community matters because he first loved us. And what Jesus has done for us matters.